We're turning to the book of Isaiah this evening and to the 53rd chapter, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Well known chapter to us all, I'm sure. And we'll read through nevertheless. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. We thank the Lord for this reading of his word. Let's ask his help. Our Father, as we come to consider this word for a short time this evening, we pray that thou wilt direct our thought and meditation. We pray, Lord, that the words of this portion of scripture may be laid in our hearts also, that we might comprehend the meaning of them. And Lord, we pray that these things may be revealed to us, that we may grow in grace and we may grow in understanding. And, Lord, that we might grow also in the ability to convey the gospel message to those who have need. Lord, we pray for opportunity and we pray for words. And, Father, we pray that we might be among that great company that publish the word of the Lord. Hear us then, we ask thee, and continue with us now. And bless our souls in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to think about the 11th verse here. Uh, perhaps the 10th and the 11th verse, but the 11th verse mainly. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied 
By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This chapter is about the servant of God. The servant here is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is he who is pictured here. We remember that the Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot uh, was reading this portion of scripture. And it was to him that Philip was uh, given the command to join himself. And he went and he asked him if he understood what he read. And he said, well, how can I except some man show me? And so Philip began with that portion of scripture, this portion of scripture, and preached unto him Christ. So here we have a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have a, a foretelling of those things that he would accomplish. And we read that he is the servant of the Lord. Indeed, in chapter 52, and verse 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. So the servant of the Lord uh, is spoken here, and the servant of the Lord certainly served uh, the uh, God in heaven in every way. We have to be uh, very careful over the, the way we describe the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it, it's one of those things which is very hard for us to be able to comprehend the, the person of Christ, uh, the theanthropic person. Uh, theos being the word God and anthropos being the word man the theanthropic person is the God man who is the Lord Jesus Christ uh, it's difficult for us because there are times when the scripture speaks of the uh, workings of humanity in Christ and other times they reveal the, uh, the deity of Christ and the sovereignty of Christ but those things which he accomplished on our behalf on our behalf had to be done as a man he was born of a virgin he grew up in this world he did all things that we need to do as humans in this world and yet in all of this there was no sin his service to the father in heaven uh, was meticulous and all that was required of him he accomplished and was able to say to the Lord at the end of his life, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. That's a tremendous statement. I mean, even the Apostle Paul said, I have fought a good fight, I have run a good race, and I'm ready to be delivered. But the Lord Jesus was able to say, I have finished the work. The work is done. All that was required of me has been accomplished. And now I come to my death, which also must be accomplished. And then I am trusting, and it's interesting uh, thought here of the Lord Jesus, trusting God who said to him concerning his life that he had power to lay it down and power to take it again. We read of the Lord Jesus, of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, separating himself and going and praying before the Lord. And it's recorded for us that he prayed, Lord, uh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And of course, uh, the, the, the cup is the cup of death. Uh, the Lord Jesus uh, was going to experience death. And death is the great fear uh, for all of us, because we don't know what's the other side of it. There are some who perhaps have convinced themselves that uh, death is the end. <clears throat> there are others who have convinced themselves that when they die, if there is a God, they haven't lived too bad and God will be uh, quite nice to them. Uh, they've done a fairly good job. 
And so they convince themselves of certain things, but nevertheless, at that point of death, we are going where we have never been before. Uh, I remember someone once saying, a, a preacher once saying of, of, a, of another uh, preacher who, and I can't remember who it was who said this, but it was something like, uh, now we go into the great mystery. And he was a, he was a bishop, I think, or an archbishop in, in the past. And uh, I remember the comment, which was, if he's going into a great mystery at that point of his career, he's done something wrong. Uh, but it is a great mystery, isn't it? Uh, none of us have died None of us have come back, and uh, we know that the Lord Jesus, uh, it is spoken of Christ himself, that none has ascended into heaven except him who has come down from heaven. But Jesus had to die, and when Jesus died, he had the promise of God, the promise of the Father, that he had power to lay down his life, and he had power to take it again. (coughs) And we know that the Lord Jesus said at the end of the cross, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he breathed his last. And they were all surprised that he died so quickly. Uh, But he didn't die from the nails in his hands or the sword or the spear in his side or the loss of blood. He died because he gave himself. As our great high priest, he offered the sacrifice of himself upon the cross. And so having done that, then he is dependent upon the promise of God that he has power to take his life again and to rise from the dead. And uh, he enters into that point as a human, of course, uh, suffering death. And then uh, as the spirit, which for all of us will continue after our bodies are dead, uh, that, that spirit was able to take that body to that body once again and to bring it forth from death uh, that was a, a great faith, indeed, to go before us. Uh, are we not in the similar situation, really? The Lord has said that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Uh, didn't he ask uh, Martha on that uh, occasion? Uh, uh, and she said, well, I know that at the end we will raise, be raised again. And the resurrection is a great part of the gospel. Believing in the resurrection is a great part of our faith in God. That when we die, it will not be the end of us. That when we die, we shall not be lost, but that we shall be drawn into the presence of God. So Christ becoming a man then, and living as we were, we are, uh, but without sin, uh, he becomes someone very special, the one who is chosen of God. And that's the way I want to consider this here. As the one whom God hath chosen. God hath chosen the Lord Jesus in, in uh, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. So I want to consider this as the Lord Jesus being there as the substitute for us uh, who died for us. Because that's what the gospel is. And that we are atoned for by the life and by the death and by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is our champion. He is the one who's gone forth. Like David went forth for all of the, uh, uh, the men of Israel who were afraid to fight against Goliath. David said, oh, I will go. And David becomes their champion. Uh, it always amazes me, really. I'm not sure we said this when we were considering First Samuel. But it always amazes me that nobody objected and said, you can't send him. He's got no chance. He's just a stripper. He's never fought before. He's got no armor. He's got no chance. And no, you can't send him. Don't let him go. And we're not going to let him go. And there would be a a big riot uh, because they were putting their lives in this young boy's hands. It always amazes me that they didn't do that. 
but of course here was a type of Christ he was going forth to fight the battle for them and the Lord Jesus Christ is our champion he is the one who stands for us he is the one who takes on death he is the one who takes on sin he is the one who takes on temptation he is the one who takes on everything that we have failed in and succeeds in everything that we might be saved so we're going to begin with the substitution of a champion then we will move on to the satisfaction of his conduct and finally the salvation of his children the substitution of a champion then here we have the choice of the lord and the choice of the lord is this righteous servant a righteous servant it is god who has chosen one in psalm 89 we read this together it's the reason we read this psalm we read twice there first of all in verse 3 psalm 89 and verse 3 i have made a covenant with my chosen i have sworn unto david my servant and again in verse 19 then thou speakest in vision to thy holy one and says i have laid help upon one that is mighty i have exalted one chosen out of the people and so here we have a chosen champion the champion of god the one who is going to stand before him one who is going to succeed and the first thing we have to think about that is the grace of god he didn't really need to give us a champion he could have continued as he speaks of in isaiah uh, uh, or, or rather in yeah in isaiah 63 in verse 5 and he said and i looked and there was none to help and i wondered that there was none to uphold he could have continued to look and wait for someone who would come along of humanity but there never would be someone we have all sinned come short of the glory of god we have all failed uh, we are all infinitely short of that which is required uh, for uh, 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 an ascendancy into the presence of god uh, so no one was going to come but god in his grace uh, decides that he will give a champion and that it would be him himself he would come that he would be the champion that he would turn away the wrath that he would bear upon himself this uh, demeaning situation of becoming human taking to himself human humanity not just a human form but actual humanity to become one of us and he comes as the choice of the lord the one who is the elect and he comes that he might stand for us the champion of the elect of god indeed when we read through the scripture we find that our election is actually in christ christ is the elect and as we trust in the lord jesus christ and believe in him so our salvation comes we are saved in jesus christ it is his life that we bear it is his likeness that begins to work in us that he would make us conformable to the image of his son it is the lord jesus christ which the father sees that the judge of all the earth sees when he looks upon every child of god it is his righteousness it is his perfections it is his work it is his overcoming and our salvation is found in jesus christ and the lord says again in isaiah in chapter 59 and verse 16 and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor therefore his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness it sustained him 
And again, in 63.5 that we just mentioned a moment ago, and I looked and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury, it upheld me. The substitution of a champion, there, therefore, is God's purpose and God's substitution. It is not that we have chosen someone to go forth in our place, but it's the fact that God has chosen someone to go forth in our place. And indeed, we might say, even from this chapter and the one just before, uh, that if we was left to us to choose a champion to stand before God on our behalf, it wouldn't have been Christ. Because we find that God has chosen him, my servant, there in chapter 52 and verse 13, and my righteous servant, chapter 53 and verse 11. But what does man say of him? Verse 14 of chapter 52, as many were astonished or astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Verse 3 of chapter 53, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. It's all often the way, isn't it, in amongst men? It's why so many who are not worthy rise to positions of power. Uh, because the ones who actually should be in the power are the ones who are humble. They're the ones who don't seek power. They're the ones who say, well, not me. I, 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 I don't want those authorities. I don't want to have power over men. And perhaps they're the ones who actually need the power over men. Uh, for they're the ones who would be honourable. They're the ones who would be honest. They're the ones who would make sure there was equity. But man does not esteem such people. And here the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his perfections is despised and rejected. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Man rejects him, but God chose him above all. And it's similar, isn't it? If we read 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, uh, or the 1 Corinthians chapter 1, rather, at the end of that chapter, it says, not many mighty are called, not many noble, but God has chosen the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That God has chosen the weak things of the world. And although the Lord Jesus Christ, in actual fact, is not a weak thing of the world at all, yet nevertheless, man does not recognize him as being the great champion and we consider David once again, and David being typical here, or a type of Christ, uh, we consider uh, the words which are spoken of David in Psalm 89, and of how that these things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, uh, that we see this young stripling of a boy who goes forth. But he's much more powerful than he looks, and he is far better, better armed than he looks. If you cast back your mind, you might remember... Uh, how that we uh, spoke about Goliath's armor and how that Goliath was a warrior and probably a mercenary. And we, just to, to take one of those things, for uh, perhaps two of those things, one, one of those things I was just noting the other day, I was reading again in First, First Samuel, and how that he was offered the sword of Goliath. And David said, give me that. There is none like it. There is none like it. It is the finest sword, the finest weapon that can be found in the kingdom. The finest weapon, perhaps, that can be found uh, anywhere around in these days. Uh, he was well armed. 
And then, if you remember, we spoke about the spear, which was like a weaver's beam. A weaver's beam is not thick and fat. Uh, That wasn't the thought, and there are many uh, who have perhaps uh, reckoned that he must have been a really strong man to hold this this great spear uh, with with his great heavy weight on the end. But the point is not that it was uh, heavy or thick and that he was strong to be able to carry it. The point is that the weaver's beam is arrow straight. It is perfectly straight. And here is a a beam which is, this is not a a spear which has been cut from a tree and the branches whittled off it and it's straightish with a a head on the top. But this this is something which has been manufactured. This is something which has had great care over it. This is something which has been made as a weapon for a warrior. And so perhaps if a champion was to be chosen, we might use that as an illustration. The Philistines chose this great hulking man with all of his great armor, with the greaves of of brass upon his shins and his helmet upon his head and this beautiful weapon of the spear and this glorious sword uh, sharper than any that could be found, straighter perhaps uh, and of uh, of the, the, the greatest workmanship. And here is this man. That's what man chooses. But God chooses David and God chooses Christ he is our champion and the challenge then to the savior is to live in the world that we live in so we can understand that we know what the challenges are we know the temptations we know what the world can offer us we know all of the experiences of life and the things that we ourselves go after the things that we enjoy Uh, how we enjoy uh, the pastimes of this world how we enjoy the uh, the Uh, The fun of the world, the jokes of the world, the company of the world, uh, uh, all kinds of things which can make us feel good for a moment. And uh, and, uh, sometimes those things which we can amass to ourselves, wealth, houses, cars, all sorts of things that people chase after in this world. We understand all of those things. We understand that it's nice to be popular. It's nice that, uh, that everybody likes you. I mean, it does my heart good when I go to the back of the church and I stand at the door and all the children uh, come running to me to give me a hug. Uh, All my grandchildren come running and uh, there was a race this morning to get to me first. So uh, that was that was quite a, a happy time. But these are the things which we seek. And Christ was faced with all of those same things. And yet his heart was not taken by them. Always he is about the father's business. Even when it's his mother and father, and we can liken them to the children coming to see me after the service. Uh, here is his mother and father who have cared for him. He has lived with them. He loves them. And he loves them with a love which is even greater than most people's love. And yet, when the time comes that he must be about the father's business, his heavenly father's business, they go off to their home and he remains in the temple. And when they find him, he says, Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Do you not understand? And his work is more important. And we find this Lord Jesus then in this challenge. And it's such a challenge. And we, we think of how challenging it was. I suppose, really, usually when we think about the challenges of Christ, what comes to mind if somebody said to you, well, what, what were the temptations of Christ? What comes to mind is the temptations in the wilderness. And we would think about the, the fact that the, the devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. It says, cast thyself down. And 
for the angels will bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus' answer to him, uh, the very fact that he shows him in a moment of time all the kingdoms of the earth. Some have taken this and they have said, well, there's no, there's no mountain high enough, so that can't be true, because he wouldn't be able to see all the kingdoms of the earth from a high mountain. Now, that's not true. But Luke reminds us that it was in a moment of time as well. It's not a literal mountain. And it's not literally seeing the kingdoms of the earth with his uh, natural eyes because it was all in a moment of time. But nevertheless, what was the point here? He was tempting him that he would give him all those things because all of the kingdoms of the earth had been given to him. Not by God. Let's get this right. It wasn't the kingdoms of the earth are not given to Satan by God. The kingdoms of the earth are given to Satan by us because we follow him, because we are the children of the devil. And because we give him that position of authority. And he says, well, I will re- yield them up to you if you bow to me. Uh, and you can rule them instead. But of course, Jesus refuses that. That's what usually what comes to our mind when we think of temptations. But just consider how Jesus lived his life. How that Jesus didn't have uh, all the things which we desire in this world to know where the next meal's coming from where our clothes are coming from, uh, what we're going to be doing in the next day, uh, and to have all all kinds of order around us. Uh, We like to be liked by people, and no doubt the Lord Jesus had many who came out to hear him uh, preach, but he also had great enemies and very strong enemies. And peer pressure would be put upon him. And if you are the son of God, not just from the words of Satan, but uh, even from the, the Pharisees there, if, you, if you, you claim this, well, then you should be walking like we are. But Jesus refuses and rejects all of those things. He is so focused on what the father has given him to do that nothing draws him aside, either to the right hand to the left. He doesn't seek favor with men. He seeks favor only with the father. He doesn't listen to the commands of men. He listens only to the commands of the Father. He listens to the requests of men and often answers those requests because that is the command of the Father. But he, whatsoever the Father showeth me, that I speak, he says. He is challenged at all points. And when we consider also, uh, when we come to the satisfaction of his conduct, uh, the demands of the covenant of works... You see, the covenant of works is this, that God says, if you do what I tell you, then I will do for you. If, if you are obedient in all things, if you are perfect in all of your ways, then I will give you, and that's the covenant. Uh, we understand what a covenant is, it's a deal. Uh, we make a deal, and this is the deal. God says, you walk in a perfect way, I will give you everything you need. But we don't walk in a perfect way. But Christ was brought into this world that he might keep that covenant. That he would fulfill all the demands of the covenant. And the great command of the covenant, first and foremost, is to love the Lord our God. With all our heart. With all our soul. With all our strength. With all our mind. And there's no man who can do that. But Jesus Christ. And then also the covenant of works is that we should love our neighbor as ourself. And again, Christ, even when we were yet enemies, died for us. 
what greater love is this? Though there is no greater love that a man should lay down his life for his friends. But Jesus lays down his life for his enemies. Paul makes a very point of this in the book of Romans. So here is the demand of the covenant of works is that we should walk in perfection. And that we should have a love for the Father which is un, unchallenged. And a love for our uh, uh, fellow man which is unchallengeable. And Jesus Christ fulfills all of these things. God says to the people, Now therefore if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant... Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And, and note this, two things the Lord says, you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. The Lord gives these things if they are obedient, but they were disobedient. Immediately they were disobedient. While Moses is in the mountain, while the law is actually being given, they are down making a golden calf and saying, uh, up, make us gods that will go before us. They've already broken the covenant before it's even given to them in any, uh, in any solid form. And the Apostle Paul says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set for champion of the people, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus and Christ. But we, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The demands of the covenant of work works as a perfection. And Christ is the one who is perfect. We see his diligence in his conduct. For in every way, from the moment he arises to the moment he retires, and that retirement for sleep can be anywhere, uh, on the back of a boat, for instance, but always he is in communion and in communication and in fellowship with the Father and there is nothing that distracts him. Remember uh, when he had said to his disciples, well, let us go across to the other side. But some of the people began to come out. They knew where he was and they gathered this great multitude, 5,000 plus the women and children who gathered around. And Jesus said, well, we'll preach to them. He never misses a chance. He never misses an opportunity. He doesn't hide himself and run away from them because he's tired, as the disciples are. But he says, well, we will preach. And he preaches all the day. And at the end of the day, he says to his disciples, well, we need to feed them. And the disciples say, well, we don't have anything to feed them with. Uh, and even if we had 200 pennies of, bre of bread, it wouldn't be enough to feed them. And Jesus says, well, what do we have? And it's the story, of course, of the five loaves and the two fishes. And they break those and uh, pick up 12 full baskets at the end. Christ is, is never at the end of his service. And then after the people have been sent away, the disciples get into a boat and they begin to cross over the sea. But Christ remains, enters into the mountain for fellowship with the Father. He is all the time completely focused on his service for God. And he is tested in all ways, but he never fails in his diligence 
in his conduct. And finally, his compliance with the conditions. Uh, the scripture here says in verse 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul. Uh, so there is a travail, there is a difficulty for him. Of course, he is a man. And we see again how he falls asleep in the back of the boat without a, without a fear and without a care. Uh, but there is the travail of his soul. There is the affliction of his soul. There are the enemies against him, not just in uh, or those physical or uh, human enemies, but spiritual ones also. Uh, but he sees of the travail of his soul. He goes to the cross and dies there with those railing upon him, uh, hating him, despising him, rejecting him not being esteemed and he bears all of these things but it says he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied christ has done what he needs to do he has complied with the conditions this is the basis of salvation and if we're to preach the gospel here this is the gospel that christ jesus has fulfilled the conditions for salvation and that Christ Jesus says to all, believe on me and you will be saved. The gospel goes forth to all. But of course, not all will respond to it as they don't throughout the scripture. But God says, nevertheless, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And this is the way of salvation then, the salvation of his children. It's interesting uh, that it speaks here of his seed. He shall see his seed and shall prolong his days. In verse 10, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And the seed are those who have trusted in Christ. We are the seed. And the salvation of his children, therefore, is given to us through Christ. The judging of his person, the judgment of men, is, is despised. He is rejected. He has no form or comeliness to desire him. But God's judgment of Christ is that he is a righteous servant, that he has chosen and elected. Man for man, he is despised and rejected. For God, he has chosen and elected. And then find, uh, uh, next we see the justifying of his people. He shall bear their iniquities, uh, we read here. Uh, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Uh, the Lord bears the iniquities of his people. Your iniquities, if you believe on him. My iniquities. The Lord is able to save us from our iniquities because it pleased the Lord to send him because he has fulfilled all that was given him to do so that he could say I finished the work and his seed is recognized those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ it's not a physical seed uh, in fact we, we read that in this very chapter just a couple of verses earlier it tells us that there is no generation there in verse 8 he was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. So there's no generation. There is, uh, we, we read in Matthew of the generations of Jesus Christ. But there is no generation. He doesn't have a son. He doesn't have a daughter. There's nobody after him. So his seed is a spiritual seed. And it's interesting in that same portion of scripture that it tells us that he has no generation. And yet he, the Lord shall see his seed. 
Are you of Christ? Are you his seed? Are you trusting in him? Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. See the unity, the union with Christ here. This is our salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And finally, the joy of the perfected. How do we gain these things? Well, it is by knowing him. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. Now that can perhaps uh, turn our thoughts in the wrong direction. Uh, By this knowledge or by the knowledge of him, by knowing him, in other words, shall my righteous servant justify many by knowing him. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lord speaks of his sheep when he calls himself the, the, the great shepherd of the sheep. He speaks of his sheep and he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And he says, and I know my sheep. I know them. Do we know him? Have we heard his voice? Are we following him? Is he your shepherd this day? Is he your redeemer? Is he your champion? Naturally, as mankind, we wouldn't accept Christ as our champion. We would be looking for someone uh, far more uh, uh, fitting in with who we are. But here, the righteous one whom God has chosen is the only champion. And if you will have him, you will have salvation in him. And may the Lord bless his word as we consider it together. Amen. There might be rejoicing in heaven that there might be another sinner Uh, redeemed from the clutches of the world and the clutches of the devil. And Lord, that they might know life, that they might know it more abundantly. Bless then these meditations, these thoughts tonight, and this preaching of thy gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ has come, that he hath conquered all, that he is risen, and that he invites uh, through his name those who should be saved. Lord, bless us, we pray thee, and bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen.